it's all about. Every year that we have this holiday season, it's an island of joy for people. And that's because when Christ came into the world, as it says in our text, he came to declare and bring joy to all mankind. Christ came to bring joy to the world, and that joy can only be found in him. And like many people, like C.S. Lewis, they experience these islands of joy. They cannot explain it. They're temporary, and they fade, and it leaves them longing for something outer and other. People who do not believe, and even worse, people who do believe intellectually in the church never experience the true and lasting joy of knowing Christ. And so in today's sermon, we will learn how joy came into the world through the birth of Jesus Christ. Last we left off, we kind of looked at the two different experiences of Mary and Joseph. Mary initially receiving the message from the angel Gabriel that she was about to carry the Messiah, went overwhelmed with such news, went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who also likewise had experienced miraculous uh, conception. And they shared their joy with one another, Elizabeth carrying both carrying John the Baptist and Mary carrying our Lord Jesus. And so we read and kind of looked at Mary's unique perspective, the, the, the great worship song, the first Christmas carol that she penned um, and, and uh, sang to the Lord in, in a time of great worship and humility. And then we looked at Joseph and his experience and how would this humble carpenter from Nazareth who was betrothed to Mary react to this news and, and how he would handle it. And again, through divine revelation, through Gabriel, not only uh, does he go along with the plan and under submit to the will of God, but we see that God had chosen just the right man for the job. And he was given divine authority to name Christ Jesus. Now Mary and Joseph share this secret together. Only they know it. Everyone else in the village of Nazareth would have seen Mary pregnant. It would have already become scandalous. Who would understand? If they were to explain it to anyone, no one would believe. As her pregnancy would progress, either it would occur that her and Joseph were immoral or that she was immoral, and people would begin to ask questions. And when you live in a small town, news spreads fast. So what are they to do? Well, if I was Joseph, I'd say, let's get out of town before anyone figures this out. But isn't the Lord good in his sovereign purpose he provided the way of escape from Joseph and Mary to get out of Nazareth just in time to evade any scandal. And that's exactly what happens. It tells us in, in verse 1 that in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. It was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Caesar Augustus called for a census at this period of time. And in the sovereign plan of God, he uses this census to get Joseph and Mary out from Nazareth and to Bethlehem. And so the Lord shows his favor here and that his hand is upon them every step of the way. Now, I think it's important also to see 
that there is another underlying factor here, and that is that every person must return to the hometown of their ancestry. For Joseph, this was Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is a significant place. And as we look into our sermon today and we start to unpack it, I want to look at the different aspects surrounding the birth of Christ and how joy has come and expressed itself in each place. And so the first thing we want to look at is how joy comes to Bethlehem. Bethlehem of all places, why is it that God chose Bethlehem to be the place of the birth of Christ? Why didn't he choose Jerusalem? It's the capital city. It's where the temple of God is. It's where the king rules. God could have chosen any place in Israel, but he chose Bethlehem because Bethlehem is the city of David. It is the city of David, as it says here in the text. And who was David? Well, David was the second king of Israel. He is the shepherd king, the man after God's own heart. David is the man who wrote most of the Psalms in the book of Psalms, and he was the model king that every other king in Israel sought to live up to the standard. He was a man of great humility. He was a man who loved God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. He was a warrior. He was a passionate man, and he was a type of Christ. He was the one who will fulfill and complete the conquest of Canaan and who led Israel into a period of unparalleled peace, both spiritually and militarily. And so therefore, God made a covenant with David. He made a covenant with David promising that his seed, that his son, would would inherit his kingdom and rule Israel forever as a perpetual dynasty. 1 Chronicles 17, verses 11 through 14 say this, When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son, and I will not take my steadfast love for him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. Now, the immediate fulfillment of this is seen in the birth of Solomon, but Solomon is not who this is speaking of. This is pointing specifically to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his kingdom that is forever. It is his rule that is forever. The only eternal rule can be bound up in the person of Jesus Christ. And so it was understood by all Jewish people that one much greater than Solomon would be the true son of David, the coming Messiah, and he would establish God's kingdom. The prophets understood this as well. And through revelation from God, Micah reveals to us Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. But to you, O Bethlehem of Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of the Jews, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Make no mistake about it. This prophecy tells us that Christ was to be born in Bethlehem, and in the sovereign purpose of God, not only did God provide a way of escape for Mary and Joseph to leave Nazareth, but it was his divine purpose and will for them to be in Bethlehem so that his son could fulfill all prophecy. 
And Mary and Joseph, trusting in God, obeyed and did what was right. They obeyed the Roman government, but through that they were obeying God. You see, what we understand something is the intricacy of how the governments of the world, although they are pagan and although they do not know God, are used as instruments by God to accomplish his will. And we see here that they are his ministers. The decree of Caesar Augustus was ultimately the decree of Yahweh. It was the decree of God. And in their obedience, they found themselves in the will of God. Secondly, we want to look at joy coming at the right time. Joy coming at the right time. One thing we learn in life is that joy comes to us at times when we least expect it because it is a gift from God. It is not generated externally by circumstances, but is generated within from the Holy Spirit. It is generated by God himself that is a gift. So we do not know exactly at what point Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem. It would have taken them at least five days to get there from Nazareth by foot, and all the texts tell us while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So what exactly does that mean? Could they have arrived exactly at the moment Mary was to give birth? It's possible they could have stayed at a relative's house until the time came for Mary to give birth and required more privacy, and they went to Bethlehem. Another possibility is that they arrived at a certain point and lived there for a while, although it seems hard to understand that if they were there several minutes, why they were unable to find a place to stay. I tend to think that they arrived just at the moment that Mary was about to give birth. Now, what about the date? It's curious. The Bible doesn't record the exact date of Christ's birth. Why does the Lord withhold that? Why doesn't God tell us? Well, perhaps maybe God doesn't want us to create an idolatrous holiday where we celebrate the birth of Christ. (laughs) In any case, God has hidden that from us. Scholars have debated the exact date of the birth of Christ for centuries. Most scholars agree that the birth of Christ probably took place in autumn during the harvest season in um, that period of time. December 25th was designated as Christmas much later. The early church fathers did not celebrate December 25th as Christmas. Around the 4th century AD, when Christianity was legalized by the Roman Empire, it was designated as Christmas because, like most of Rome, they converted all of their culture into Christianity. So pagan temples were converted to churches. And in like manner, pagan holidays were converted to Christian holidays. December 25th is the winter solstice. And it was celebrated by the pagans as a time to, you know, pretty much revelry and drinking and partying. And and so now with uh, the establishment of the Christian Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, December 25th is converted from the winter solstice to Christmas. The point here is that December 25th is not the day of Jesus' birthday. We simply have no evidence to support that date on the calendar, and I believe God wants it that way. However, while we do not know the precise time that Christ was born, we do know he was born at the right time. We do know he was born at the right time. It tells us this in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, but when the set time had fully come at the right time, 
God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Of all the times in history God could have chosen to bring his son into the world, it was precisely at this time in the first century A.D. when Caesar Augustus ruled the world, when Pax Romana was the policy of the world that God brought his son into the world. He brought his son through the virgin. He fulfilled that ancient prophecy of Isaiah 7:14, and he came to redeem those who were under the law. He himself was born under the law. Christ was born to fulfill the law of Moses so that no longer do we have to live up to that standard that only Christ can live up to, but we've been freed from the law, and now all people receive the adoption as children of God. He came to his own, his own received him not, but all who did receive them, he gave them the right to become the children of God. And so the timing was perfect. The timing was perfect in many ways because when you think of the Roman peace, when you think of Pax Romana, it allowed the gospel to spread throughout the whole Western civilization. Later, eventually, the gospel would spread to all the world. But it was at this time in history where the Roman Empire was very advanced, by the way, extremely advanced. Technologically, their road system, it allowed for the good news of Christ to spread to all mankind. Furthermore, the whole world was united in an empire with one language, one government, one system. Made it very efficient to accomplish his purpose. And so therefore, we may not know the precise time, but God sent his son at the right time. Thirdly, joy in the most unusual of places. Reading the text, we learn that the birth of our Lord was under the most trying of circumstances. Mary and Joseph could not find anywhere adequate enough for them to take shelter. And we read this, she laid him in the manger for there was no room for them at the inn. Now, while we get this idea of all the villainous innkeepers and the different pageants and plays and movies we've seen who are like, no, get out, we have no room for you. It was much more than that. The inns were actually notorious for being bad places that attracted villains and people that were not a good element. Criminals would, would, would take you know shelter in inns. But even more so, these were very crowded at this time. With the census taking place, it was like a major event. Think of going to Radio City Music Hall and, or, or, or going to see the Christmas tree this time of year and all the people that pack into Rockefeller Center uh, where, where you're just like this. You're walking through a crowd like this. And that's what Bethlehem would have been like under these circumstances. You know, you try to go to uh, get a hotel in, in, in a very popular uh, time of year in peak season. You can't get a room. You couldn't get a room here. And so this was a situation where here they were uh, with nowhere to go, and, 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 and there may have even been an inn where um, it could have been available, but it would not have been safe. Ultimately, Joseph and Mary took refuge in a stable with barn animals in a private location so that she can give birth to Christ. They improvised by finding a feeding trough, which is a manger. They turned it uh, into a crib. They laid some cloth in there and swaddled him. And there Christ was born. 
The stable itself would have been in a cave. Caves were commonly used as stables, and a fire would be lit to keep them warm, and it was here that Mary went into labor. And as she went into labor, we can only imagine how her and Joseph would have responded to this event. We cannot imagine both the joy and wonder that filled their hearts when before their own eyes, Christ was born. The Son of God came into the world in the most unusual of circumstances, in the most humble of circumstances. Here was this tiny newborn baby, the Son of God, the Messiah. He may have looked like an ordinary child, but he was no ordinary child. He was the Holy One of Israel. And he took human form. When you stop to think about that for a minute, you can't imagine what went through the minds of Mary and Joseph. It's ironic that the most glorious king of all history was born in the lowliest of settings. I think that's the whole point that God wants to get across to us. The setting of Christ's birth was in the most humble of contexts. He was born to an ordinary family with ordinary means. There was nowhere for his mother to give birth. No one made a fuss over his being born. And it was a foreshadow of how his life would be characterized. Humble. This was deliberate. Jesus came to the world for a reason. He came, although he was the greatest, not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. In Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 7, we're told to have this same mindset that though Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Isn't that amazing? God created man in his image, and that image was tarnished. It was ruined through sin. And God chose to send his son into the world in the likeness of men that he may redeem men. But what does this tell us? The image of God is found in Christ. Christ came not only to save us, but to put in perspective what true humanity looks like. True humanity is not humanity that glorifies itself and that lives for self and that lives to uh, uh, empower self, but lives for others. We hear the saying often, put Christ back in Christmas. Theologian R.C. Sproul says he never left Christmas. Instead, we need to put Christ where he belongs. And that means he needs to be Lord of our lives. Just as Christ emptied himself and took the form of a, of a servant, let us have that mindset as well. Empty ourselves of self where Christ belongs. Let him sit on the throne of our hearts that we may serve others. Fourthly, joy is declared. For Mary and Joseph, this was a special moment, a special blessing. And for a short time, they shared it alone. But like, they're not the only ones involved in this. God is the Father of Jesus Christ. And like any father, you cannot wait to share the good news. I see Corey there with his holding his son. You can't wait to share the good news of the birth of a child with your friends and your family. I remember when my kids were born, I didn't have a Facebook account, but I opened one because I wanted to share with everybody. 
I didn't want to share with everybody the birth of my daughters. And so it is. As parents, you take pride. And so God, likewise, wants to share this good news. So who does God share it with? Well, God could have sent a message down to Herod, but we already know Herod was plotting to kill the Messiah, so that that wouldn't have done much good. Uh, We also know uh, that he could have sent the message to the priests in in the temple. That would have seemed the right thing to do, right? After all, they're they're the priestly class, they're the religious people. But, But God reveals this message of the birth of his son to the most unlikely of people, to shepherds in the field. Now, for us, we look at shepherds in a very neutral sense. Well, you know, there's nothing good or bad. And, and, but yet, in, in first century Palestine, a shepherd was one of the lowliest uh, classes of people in that society. It, it was looked down upon. It was like a dirty job. Usually people who were uneducated, who, who were dishonest, uh, were outcasts of society with shepherds. You looked at shepherds, they were dirty, they were smelly. They were not the people you wanted to invite to your house and have dinner. And yet, who does God choose to reveal the news of the birth of his son? It's to these shepherds. It says in verse 8, in the same region, they were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts saying, Praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among with those whom he's pleased. Well, for one thing, we see that God was pleased to send the angel of the Lord to bring this, this good news. And the angel appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I mean, just think of that. Think of, you're out there, you're, you're, you're doing your job, it's an ordinary night, and all of a sudden, the veil is, is pulled apart, and, and, and God reveals himself through the angel of the Lord declaring the news, the great news of the gospel, that his son was born. I would have been afraid if I was there. I mean, people see phenomena in the sky, and UFOs, UAPs, and they get nervous. Imagine how intimidating this must have been to be in this situation. This is the glory of God, and the glory of God should bring you to your knees. When we see the radiance of the glory of God, and as 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4 tells us rather, the radiance of the glory of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ, whom we behold not with physical eyes, but with the eyes of faith. And so this news, this great news of joy was brought to them. The veil was opened and they beheld this. And and, and not only that, but then it gets greater. Then the veil is opened a little more and they see a multitude of angels singing the praises of God. Now that, that doesn't bring you to your knees. I don't know what will. And so the Lord instructs them to find 
this family and says, this sign will be given to you, and this sign is you will find a child wrapped in swaddling clothes. And indeed, they set off to investigate, and they find Christ. It says in verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. We have to assume, but by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they were directed to the stable where Mary and Joseph were. And they went with haste. They rushed. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. Now imagine you're Mary and Joseph hearing this report. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured it up in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Something important I want you to see is how the shepherds responded to this. The good news was declared to them. They were the first people to hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it tells us in verse 17 how they responded. It says, when they saw it, they made known the thing that had been told them concerning the child. They likewise communicated the good news themselves. They shared the gospel. They made known to others what they heard. What an amazing thing. God reveals himself to this group of common men, shares with them the good news of their, of their salvation, and in turn they share the good news with others. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, when Andrew first found out that Jesus was the Messiah, what did he do? He went back and told Peter. In John chapter 4, when the Samaritan woman discovers that Jesus is the Messiah, what does she do? She goes back and tells the whole village that Jesus is the Messiah. When you discover the joy in knowing Jesus and discovering who he truly is, it's impossible to contain that joy. Let me just say that. How can you come to know that Jesus is the Messiah? How can you come to know him and treasure him as Lord? When God reveals that to you, the joy is uncontainable. You are going to want to tell everyone about it. When I first became a Christian, it's exactly what I did. It got on a lot of people's nerves. A lot of people were greatly annoyed. But how could you contain it? Maybe because you never really understood that joy. tells us they also worshipped God. They returned glorifying God and praising God. They're no longer the same. Whatever their lives were like before this night, their lives changed forever. Now they were a privileged group of men who were the first beings, human beings, to behold Jesus in human form apart from his parents. Imagine meeting them in heaven. They were the first people to see Christ. Their lives are now about the glory of God. It says they return glorifying God, praising God. They had experienced the surprise of joy. They knew God was real. Even the mundane demands of shepherd's life were transformed by the joy of worship and praise. God chose these common men because that's who God chooses. He chooses the common people, the nobodies, not the high and exalted, but the lowly and the humble. 
And just as Christ's ministry began in such humble circumstances and he brought joy to the world, it's a reminder of the greater message here is that this joy is for all people. It is for all people. In verse 10, it says, This is a great joy will be for all people. This is a reminder that Christ came not to die just for the sins of the nation of Israel, but he came to die for the sins of all mankind so that all people may experience this true joy. Now, after all these events occurred, Mary and Joseph will go on. They will have Jesus circumcised according to Jewish tradition on the eighth day. And that's a whole other interesting story um, that we can look at later on. But ultimately, it tells us that Mary treasured these things in her heart. She was a deep thinker. And it changed her life as well. She would go on to have other children, her and Joseph. But this was the one miracle that was set apart that brought joy into her life. This Christmas holiday, I want you to think about your own life. Have you experienced those islands of joy in your life? Those temporal intrusions where God shines his light into your life. They come and go fast and you, you grasp for it, you long for it, but you can't quite find it. The truth of the matter is that joy can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the gift of God to us. And that joy can be yours it can be had but like c.s lewis we need to put down our weapons and stop fighting god and surrender our lives to jesus christ christ came to give us everlasting joy not happiness not pleasure but ecstatic joy which independent of circumstances anchors the soul to the reality of heaven and a relationship with god with whom you were created for it's called satisfaction. It's called delight. All of these adjectives work around this concept of joy. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit for all those who have tasted and said, the Lord is good. And so if you haven't come to faith in Christ, if you haven't truly believed in him and given your life to Christ, I urge you this day, give up your sins. Stop holding on to the things in this life that you think can bring you joy and pleasure. They, they cannot. Lay it all down. Forsake it. Give it up. There's great freedom in giving it up. Lay your burden at the cross. Believe in Christ. Trust in him for your eternal salvation. Stop trying harder and working more. That's not going to get you into peace with God. It's simple trust and obey. Faith in Christ. Repentance from sin. And you too can experience that joy. Not just as these islands, but as a, a permanent, eternal joy that will be with us, not only in this life, but perfected in heaven forever. Let's pray. Father and God, we pray and thank you for this day. Thank you, ultimately, for the birth of your Son and what that means for us, O oh Lord. Thank you for the joy that we have that does not rest in, 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 in external circumstances,
but as this profound longing of the heart satisfied only by the living waters, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this. Thank you for this great gift, Almighty God. And now bless us as we go our way that we may enjoy this holiday season not for the external realities, but for the eternal realities. In Christ's name, amen.